everybody. Welcome back to Readers of Bright. We've got a really interesting episode today that ventures a little bit into my day job as well as my writing world. Um, and that is the scams that authors are facing lately. It's become far too frequent for authors to be contacted by this kind of stuff. Um, and we want to dive into it a little bit, A, so that any authors who watch this are able to understand a little bit of what's going on and how to avoid it. And B, so those who may not be in the author world understand a lot of the ups and downs that authors go through. A lot of these scams cause a big peak in emotion. And we get super excited just to find out it's a scam. So we'll be talking about that today. Uh, so stay tuned after the jump and we'll get into it. Welcome back, everybody. We've got quite a lot to cover today. So let's get into it. Um, as everyone, I'm sure, has noticed, there's a big uptick in scams across the board. Um, and they've become very niche and very targeted lately. Um, in my day job in cybersecurity and IT world, we see it on a, day, on a daily basis where it's anybody from just the average person to targets of CEOs, CFOs, and they use things that are public information like some of your search history or things you've commented on on social media that you like to try and target you specifically um, or groups of people who are fans of a certain thing. Um, this is true for authors as well. And it's honestly quite vicious. Um, I've seen a lot myself over the last six to eight months. Um, and I see all over BookTok and BookTube that authors across the board are experiencing this, and it is very frustrating. So today we're going to talk about some of the scams that are common to authors um, and what they are targeted with so that any authors watching can learn to spot them. And anyone who is friends with an author can spot them as well. Because a lot of times these are things that are intended to get an author very excited. Um, so having someone around them that can check, that they can check with and say, hey, is this too good to be true? Is this weird? How can I avoid this? Is something that is super, super helpful. So one of the most common um, and is all, all too common for authors who are trying to break into the traditionally published world. Um, that is extremely hard right now. Agents are extremely difficult to catch or come by. Um, a lot of new agents are trying their hand and giving up fairly quickly. Um, so we're seeing a lot of just turnover when it comes to agents in general. That makes it extremely hard to get into the publishing industry because there's a small group of very trusted agents that are doing probably 75 to 80% of the sales. Um, I don't quote me on that number. I am not 100% sure. Um, that's just the last number I'd heard was about 75%. We're coming from a much smaller portion of very large agents. Um, and to be fair to them, most of them have been in the industry for 10 plus years and have landed several big clients. Um, for example, 
love these guys. The guys over at Jabberwocky are fantastic people. I've met them dozens of times um, and would love to work with them. But they do a lot of that business because they've picked up people like Dan Wells, Brandon Sanderson, um, and many, many others that are, have become wildly successful authors. Um, and that is to their credit. They do a fantastic job, which is why I would love to work with them someday. Um, but the reality is that small group is doing most of the, the sales, which means there's a lot of room for real agents trying to break in, um, trying to find a way to make it work as well as scammers in a world that has a lot of turnover and a lot of demand scammers usually take root there. It's not uncommon. We see it in hundreds of industries. Uh, we saw it in the early 2000s and 2010s with big IT companies that would offer um, support for different things. Um, and it's no different right now in the, the literary world. There are hundreds of fake agents that exist for long enough to correct, collect what are called reading fees which is not the industry standard for agents um, where they will have authors pay them sometimes as low as 10 bucks to read their stories and then never sign them, never do anything with them. Um, it is extremely common and people are ripping off authors left and right. Typically, if you aren't part of the very, very small, hyper-successful New York Times bestseller, repeat New York Times bestseller list authors, you don't have a lot of capital to work with. You're usually making less than someone in the cybersecurity industry or the average accountant is making. So having to pay dozens of reading fees quickly exhausts any funds you may have. Um, which is why up to this point, that has been a major faux pas for actual agents. That is something no legitimate agent who actually is looking to sell your book will do. So first thing I, I will say, if the agent requests a reading fee, scam, walk away. Don't even touch it. Um, there are some rare occasions where that may be the case. Typically, those will be contests run by writers guilds or large publishing firms where you will submit a story to a panel of agents and they will go through every single one of those stories and read them as a contest to pick winners, but they can also pick up those stories as well. And that is different. That is the big thing to realize is a lot of these scams are tweaked versions of what actually happens. So these reading and pitch events, those are often paid because they often have venues. They often have, uh, have to pay panels. They, there's a lot of things that have to go into those. So those usually are legitimate. Make sure you verify the organization. Um, typically, for example, I'm in Utah. So the League of Utah Writers will do events like this usually tied to their conferences. Um, there's also the Life Universe and Everything, which is one of the largest writers' conferences um, that I've ever heard of. 
And, and they will do some events like this as well. Typically, the events that are real will have an in-person component and they will be tied to some kind of conference. Um, and those are good. I've had a lot of success at those pitch sessions, pitch panels. Um, and that kind of ties into the next one as well, which are paid pitch sessions. Those are a 50-50 split. Once again, if you know the organization and you trust them, great. So like for me, nice sit here in Utah, the only two I will do are the ones at the uh, League of Utah Writers Conferences or the Life of the Universe and Everything. Those are the two pitch sessions I will pay to go to. They can be incredibly valuable. Um, and a lot of times what I'll do is I will prep a story, get it as clean as I can, and then I will go to a pitch session and pitch it. If it's good, great. But I'll start doing that before I query anyone because you'll be in front of agents and editors from major publishing firms and they will tell you yay or nay on a story. So, for example, one that I'm currently querying was too short for the genre and I didn't realize that. Um, so when I went to pitch it, one of the people I pitched it to said, look, story sounds amazing. It is too short to sell. We can't sell it at that length. So get it to this length and then come repitch it. Um, and I'm waiting for that event next to go back and repitch it to them. Um, so using those paid pitch sessions, sometimes as an R&D session to get more information on the industry. And I mean, worst case scenario, you're told exactly what you need to do to fix the story and make it more sellable. Best case scenario, you walk out of there with a book deal. Typically, it doesn't happen that fast, but uh, you'll at least get a manuscript request. And I absolutely love those pitch sessions um, <clears throat> for that reason. So there are fake versions of this as well. Um, I get probably a half dozen emails a week about stuff like this, where they will say, hey, we're running this pitch session event from random person at gmail.com. It's only 75 bucks to sign up and you can talk to these people. Um, it'll always be virtual. A lot of times the people are, that are involved are random celebrities. Um, this is very, very common with Hollywood sales as well, where it'll be random directors. Um, so the big things with these are always verify who it is. If you don't know who it is and it's not from an organization you actively follow, that's your first red flag. Second red flag, if the email looks correct, so you're looking at the actual email itself and all of the logos are in the right place, go up to the top. If you have um, Gmail or Outlook, they all do this. There's a little banner that says to from, you can click it and drop it down on the web version or just hover over it if you have like the actual Outlook program installed on your computer it will tell you the exact email address that it was sent from. Check the domain first. Make sure it is actually the domain you've received emails from before. Sometimes these advertisements will come from an email you haven't communicated with before. Um, so if it's a contest or a pitch session um, and 
trying to think of an organization that might actually do that. Once again, it'd probably be like the League of Vita Writers or something like that. Um, all of those emails will be the same domain. I don't actually remember either of their domains. I think Life Universe and everything is ltue.org. Um, but if you check that domain and it is that domain, then it's probably safe. Um, next thing you want to do is check the links. Do not click on them. Hover over them. When you hover over them, it will give you the actual URL. Verify that it's going at least to the homepage of the organization you're expecting it to go to. You can check that by going to Google and searching them. It'll give you the URL. Do not click on the link until you are 100% sure that the link goes where it's supposed to go. That is one of the most dangerous ways to get spyware and things like that. Next. Okay. So we've kind of covered a lot of the base rules and some of the popular scams. Next, we're getting into the ones that are a little bit harder to spot. Those first two have some very obvious red flags and are very easy to spot, especially if you're only sticking to organizations you know and trust. The next three are extremely hard to verify and are extremely hard to know whether it's real or not. Okay, so the first one is contests. Contests are a big way to break into the writing world. I absolutely love them. I swear up and down by them. They are some of the most success I've had. Um, you can see my, no, for those of you watching, trying to get my finger pointed in the right direction. Right there above the helmet uh, is an honorable mention I received from uh, Writers of the Future, which is a big thing for me. Getting that and getting involved with that organization has catapulted my career quite a bit. Um, it's brought me into the right circles, helped me meet the right people. Um, and I've seen a lot more success and a lot more growth just from participating in that contest. This contest, the Writers of the Future, if you're not a professional writer yet, is a big one to participate in. As uh, a short story contest for speculative fiction, um, and it is absolutely free to enter. So one of the things I recommend to hone your craft is to write short stories in between your novels, or write short stories to test out the way you want to write something. Um, so for example, if you want to try out satire, you're not commonly using satire, write a short story with satire. Same with romance. I'm going to be doing that here soon. Um, or if you want to venture into a genre you've never written before, start with a short story. That short story may become a novel. I mean, it happened to one of my friends who won it, David Hankins. Uh, he won Writers of the Future on the same one I got the honorable mention on. Um, and he turned that short story into a novel. But writing these short stories allows you to hone your craft in a shorter fashion. And doing it in a short fashion forces you to focus and refine your skills instead of just plugging them into a larger novel where you can cover it up. Um, now, if you're doing that, which is a recommendation I've heard from Brandon Sanderson, Neil Gaiman, Dan Well, I've heard it from dozens of very successful authors, uh, is using the short fiction medium to home craft. There's not a lot, there's a lot you can do with those, but trying to sell short stories can be rough. Um, contests are a great way to get stories out there 
and get them involved in stuff. Uh, Riders of the Future has four submission periods a year, which means you can send them four stories a year into that contest for free. Um, it usually takes six to eight months for them to judge everything and get it going because it is one of the largest contests in the world. But that process allows you to have a reason to write the stories. Uh, there are other contests that are fantastic as well. Um, for, I'm going to use League of Utah Writers again. I'm actually on the contest committee for them. Um, but the contests that we run, they are paid most of the time because the software we have to use to run the contest is not free. I know that's the case for um, Writers of the Future as well, but they are much bigger, much more successful. Um, they also sell a lot of their anthologies to support it. Uh, so I believe they actually have the software in-house at this point. Um, but doing that allows... The <sighs> I got off track there. With that software and some requirements, um, it does mean that you have to pay for entry. Typically, paying to enter these contests ranges anywhere from, I think, 10 bucks to about 25 so that pay to enter range isn't bad. The most common thing we see scam wise is an imitation of this where organizations will run contests, but once you enter, you never hear back and it'll, that means you have a story that is tied up somewhere for no reason without any information. And you had to pay 25 bucks to enter the story. Um, sometimes eventually they'll reach out to you and say, sorry, you didn't win. Um, but I actually had one that I still haven't heard back for two and a half years now. Um, I've gone on to send that story out to other places and it's seen some success, but these scams are extremely hard to spot and you have to be extremely careful with these contests. Um, there are ways to check um for these contests and whether they can be trusted or not uh one of my favorites when it comes to short stories is called submission grinder this allows you to check contests anthologies um anything of that nature um, or just short story requests from publishers and magazines um, it's a great place to find trusted sources that will allow you to um submit to places that are actually real and will actually either pay you or put you into a contest to win um, or sticking with organizations you know. Um, like, for example, your local Writers Guild. Next, um, and there's also called Query Manager. That's uh, a good, good place to keep track of agents and um, smaller medium press that will do direct submissions and slush piles. Um, so I will link those below in the description. Um, let me just make sure I have that noted. Um, and you can use those tools to track your submissions as well as make sure you're submitting to people who are legitimate. Um, both of those sites I listed, uh, Submission Grinder and Query Manager actually verify everyone involved. 
Um, so it, they are safer to be trusted. It is not perfect. There will always be that one scammer that is smarter than the system, but you are a lot safer using those to locate people um, or contests or magazines that you would like to submit stories to. Okay, next. This is the one that I have almost fallen for twice now. Um, and I am in the profession of catching and stopping scammers. And that is the fake Hollywood agents. Typically, if I have never actually experienced this for real, so I may not know all of the ins and outs on this one, but typically if Hollywood shows interest, they will contact you through official means. Um, if you are an indie author, that will typically be through your press. You should be listing that contact information, at least an email, in the copyright section of your books uh, so that there is a way that they can reach you. Um, but sometimes people will, well, not sometimes, very commonly, people will try and fake this. They will impersonate Hollywood agents in order to either get information or get uncopyrighted material that they can turn around and sell in other places. Uh, we see this extremely commonly for uh, resale to places like India or um, other Central Asian or Eastern European countries where if you don't own rights in that specific country, they can then steal your work. All they have to do is have you submit a manuscript to them, and then they can turn around and sell your book in those countries and copyright it so that you will not own the rights to that story. Luckily, I have never actually submitted my work to them. Um, usually, I will catch it before that point. But I know several authors that have been hit by that, uh, including some successful ones, uh, or extremely successful ones that have fallen for scams like that because for any author getting connections into Hollywood and selling your stories to Hollywood is one of the ways that makes the most money for an author. That is typically, unless you're Brandon Sanderson, the line you have to cross to move from living paycheck to paycheck as an author to actually being successful. Hollywood money is what really makes that next makes the jump for an author to a far more successful level of author. Not always true. Sometimes it doesn't work, but that typically is the line. So having somebody pretending to be from Hollywood reaching out to you is kind of a bucket list dream for most authors. And this is where somebody to or somebody who's willing to step in and check um, is something that is extremely useful to authors, whether that be a spouse or a parent or a friend. It's something that will keep authors from losing these rights. While that may not be a huge deal, it can be, especially if they have, if it's they sell into the EU or into a large market country um, with your rights because they verify that you don't have international rights copyrighted. Uh, 
which is something I've been very careful to do because I'd heard stories like this. Um, the next is what are copyright scams. There are several versions of this. One is pretty similar to one I just mentioned where the Hollywood agent will steal your rights and publish under it. Um, other times they will basically take your copyright hostage. Um, if you haven't copyrighted your work, they will step in and copyright your work and then force you to buy that copyright from them for exorbitant amounts of money. Um, a lot of times they will target specific rights, um, whether it be audiobook or movie rights or something that authors don't typically copyright for their book. Um, as a rule of thumb, I would say to authors, blanket copyright every bit of your work. It is a little bit more expensive to do that, but if you control the rights, you control who can use them, and you control the sale of any of those rights. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, losing my voice because I was at a wedding super, super late last night, um, and I'm recording this early the next morning. So... There are different versions of this copyright scam like, like we just talked about. Um, there's the more common ones, which I've just talked about. There's a more recent one where audiobooks will become available if you publish through Amazon or you list your book on Amazon. In their tool called ACX, uh, your book will be listed as having the rights to or having the ability to claim the rights to make that audiobook. People have been going in there lately, selecting books that don't have audiobooks and claiming the rights to them, and then either holding them hostage or literally making the audiobook, and then selling the audiobook when they don't have the rights to do that. Um, and if you don't have a full copyright for audiobook and audio rights, there's nothing you can really do about it, especially if they go in and copyright that on the back end, then they own the copyright to the audiobook and you don't own it and you will never be able to own it because they own the rights to it. Um, and Amazon, from what I've heard, is trying to fight this. Um, I haven't had this happen to me, luckily, because I'm paranoid about my copyright. <laughs> my copyright. Um, and I've gone through and registered all of my books to me on ACX. So it's not something I've experienced myself, but I know a lot of authors do have, and I see this pretty commonly on BookTube. So authors, if you haven't gone through and either sold the audiobook rights to a publisher, or you have the audiobook actually done and ready, um, or just go in and into ACX and claim those rights and claim the project as yours. Please do. Please, please do. I know right now audiobooks don't make authors a lot of money. Um, it's a current fight that everyone we're having with Amazon themselves, um, as well as other audiobook institutions. But owning those rights is better than not. And risking those rights even though you're not planning on making an audiobook anytime soon, is something that I absolutely would recommend. So please take this all with a grain of salt. 
the writing world is a fantastic world. There are a lot of dangers, but there are a lot of happy points as well. This episode was kind of doom and gloom. I don't want to scare people away from publishing. Um, but don't forget to like and subscribe for more videos like this. And stay safe. Comment below if you've experienced anything like this. I would love to hear more of what you've been through um, so that I can learn how to protect myself and share this with other authors as well. But yeah, thank you for watching Readers That Write. And we'll see you next week.